Well, good morning, church. It's great to be with all of you. I'm Reverend Jeff, one of the pastors here, and it's been a good morning of worship. Am I right? The band's been good. There were kids here, plenty of little ones. And thank you to Jeff for a good word this morning on stewardship. Hopefully you are not like Reggie Campbell and Jeff's illustration and you showed up to Northside on Sunday morning and here I am and you're like, but I came to hear a word from Dr. Bill. <laughs> yeah, Jeff, come back next week. Bill will be back. Um, that's just my plug to invite you to church for one more week. Uh, Grateful to be sharing this morning and grateful for all of our stewardship speakers throughout this three-week series. Elizabeth and Jeff have done a great job. Next week, you'll be blessed to hear from Jim Chapman. I was reflecting this past week on what it might be like to be invited to speak in front of a church. And for me, that doesn't sound uh, like too tall of an order. I'm like, oh, showing up, speaking for three minutes, that sounds no big deal, right? But then we are talking as a staff about what it might be look like, as a joke, to create a staff choir. And I thought, well, I don't, that sounds a little bit intimidating. I don't know if I could stand in front of people and sing. And I realized that is exactly what we ask folks to do when they are speaking for Stewardship Sunday, to stand in front of their church family and to share and be vulnerable but I think it's a beautiful thing when the community is vulnerable with one another. And so here we are in stewardship series. For those of you who have not figured it out by now, we're talking about money. We're talking about giving. And first of all, stewardship is a theological term asking us what do we do with the gifts that God has given us. But it's a thinly veiled term also not because we are afraid of it, not because it's not important, uh, but because sometimes it can be a vulnerable thing to share and speak about money. Yet again, maybe God is moving through these moments of vulnerability. Another reason stewardship is hard is because you know the ending. You know where this sermon and where this service is going. We're not trying to keep it a secret. We've mailed our members the commitment cards. You see them in the chairs around you. We are asking you to make a commitment to this church. But sometimes already knowing where something is going makes it a little bit of a challenging story to hear. If you've seen the Star Wars prequels, you probably know what I'm talking about. But that's another sermon for another day. What we're talking about today is having extravagant generosity about being a community of generosity. But the means to get to an end is always important in our faith. And so we turn today to a story from the Bible from Acts chapter 2 about what that community might look like, the ideal church community. And so we'll read from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Hear now the Holy Scripture. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. 
They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Would you pray with me? God, just as you moved through your Holy Spirit, through the hearts of the first church, move in our hearts today that we might be the people you would desire us to be. Amen. What are your favorite images for the kingdom of God? What are your favorite images for paradise or the perfect community? Maybe you look to the Garden of Eden, where it all began, where everything was perfect, and how the Bible actually ends in a garden, right? In Revelation 21 and 22, where there's no more weeping, no more sorrow, God returns his people to the community that he designed them to live in. Maybe you love the Old Testament story in Isaiah chapter 2, where the people ascend the mountaintop so that they can praise God together, give thanks for the law, and beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Maybe you love when Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed or some leavened bread. The kingdom of God is like a pearl of great price or a lost coin. All of these examples, uh, these images or the poetry or the parable give us an idea of what the ideal community would look like. And then we read about the first church in Acts chapter 2. And again, we see this community that formed right after Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit showed up and became accessible for all believers, after thousands were baptized, after Peter preached the gospel, we get this image of what a perfect community might look like. And I love this image. It shows me what a community of generosity would be like. People doing life together, sharing what they have so that no, none would be in need. But most of the time, when we think about our faith, we think about it just from our own perspective. It's an individual perspective. Me and Jesus, how is my relationship with God? The best of us consider the tasks that we do here at the church, the activities that we're involved in, and we make sure we're knowing and growing and going and engaging in worship and study and service. But the Bible calls us to be a community. It calls us to look at the whole. Now, this is difficult because we live in a culture of individualism, right? And it's individualistic, I think, because of two pressures, both an internal pressure and external pressure. We are individuals, and that internal pressure, I can see because I, I live with two toddlers, right? A three-year-old and a one-year-old. And you can see that individualistic, sometimes selfish tendency come out in kiddos. Let's just pretend that you have two kids playing with a toy. Let's pretend that toy is a Lego choo-choo train. Both kids could be completely content with what they are doing, but the second one sees the other pick up the said choo-choo train, 
Nothing else is good enough. They have to have that one thing. But don't we do the same thing? We're content with what we have until we see what somebody else is wearing or the phone that somebody else has or the car that our friend is driving. It's this internal pressure and selfishness that causes us to be individualistic. As well as it's a culture role thing. We live in a culture that says, do what's best for yourself, and that will be best for everybody else. Put on your own oxygen mask before you take care of others. And those things are true, and those things are good, until... Until we say, I have to have more, even if somebody else is going to have less. Until we say, I can do everything on my own, and I don't need any help. It's good until we say, I have everything under control, and I do not need to show any sign of weakness or vulnerability, because then we don't need our neighbor anymore. And as I read through the Bible, it seems to be a story that points us to the community. Yes, we are all individuals. Yes, we all have our own journey, and that is good. But it's not just a story of us as individuals. It's a story of our community. The Old Testament tells the story of the community of the Israelites. These people who strive to be the very community that God desired. We see how the Israelites were led out of bondage in Egypt. And shortly thereafter, as they're wandering in the wilderness, they say, can't we just go back to what we had in Egypt? And how often do we find ourselves wondering that same thing, looking at blessings that we have and grumbling about them? You then see the community continue to wander in the wilderness, and Moses goes up to hear from God to receive the Ten Commandments, and it doesn't take long for the people to start worshiping other gods. And in the same way, how quick are we to turn our eyes off of the one true God? The Israelites knew they were a broken community. They knew they missed the mark, just as we do. And so what they did was they created something called the Year of Jubilee. We read about it, the Year of Jubilee, in Leviticus chapter 25. It's this vision for what the community could be. So every seven cycles of seven years, which would make it a Sabbath of Sabbaths, this incredibly holy time, every 50 years, They would allow the land to lay fallow. They would not work for that year. They would forgive debts. They would let the prisoners go free. They would call everything holy because they knew they needed a time to be generous, to be vulnerable, to share, and to recenter themselves as the community that God called them to do. It required all to sacrifice so that they could flourish. Now, this community is important. The Jubilee is important because when Jesus began his ministry, do you remember the scene of Jesus going before the people 
and reading from the scroll in Isaiah. And he says a lot of things, but at the end, in Luke chapter 4, 19, Jesus said, I have come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's pointing back to the Jubilee. He's saying the Jubilee is here and now. This is the community we need to create. And this is the community that exists in Acts chapter 2. It is what we are trying to return to. It is how we become a community of generosity. But that's difficult, right? It's difficult to get to that point. We see over and over again how the people in the Bible fell short. We see in our own life how we fall short. And it's, it's difficult to truly share and do life together. I was struck by this line that said, They gave to everyone in need. Because it reminded me, while there were some people who were giving, who were selling their very land and their possessions so that others could have, some in the group had to be the ones to raise their hand and say, I need help. It's difficult for all folks to share in this journey of generosity. It might not look the same for every single one of us, but we all have a place in the church and in this community. Yet all people were devoted. That was one thing that was common among all of them. All of them were devoted to four things. The teachings of the apostles, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. We too devote ourselves to these means of grace as a community. So we can grow as disciples. We as a church commit ourselves to teaching through worship and study. We join in fellowship regularly as a church and at special events. We break bread through communion and shared meals. We pray in our own house, but also here corporately. These means of grace are both individual and communal. Constantly, the Bible points us to our own relationship with God and the church's relationship with God. And here's the reality, a heart that is devoted to God in these ways will not have a difficult time filling out the commitment card. A heart that is devoted to God completely can prayerfully look at that card and imagine what am I going to do to be a part of this community. I know this to be true because I've seen it in other people's lives and I've seen it in my own life. And so at the end of this passage, what we see is a community who is praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And that's not a throwaway line. They praised God and enjoyed the favor of all people. I hope that you've seen our stewardship impact report. Now, impact reports are not anything uh, new or unique to Northside. You've probably seen that for a variety of organizations around, right? But the Northside impact report is a way that we praise God in a way that we enjoy the favor of all people. We want to praise God for the ministries and the programs and the ways that he has changed the lives of these members. So I hope that you will use that as a devotional guide, uh, to be a part of this community. It is a way that we are showing how God is adding to our number daily. 
And so you know how this is ending. You know the ending of this sermon. We're asking for you to make a commitment. But more importantly than that, we're asking you to join us on this journey. How we get there matters. There is an image of the ideal church community that Jesus gives us, that the Bible has shown us. And to get there, we are called to make sacrifices and to be vulnerable with one another. So I encourage you to do that, to make a commitment, to prayerfully consider it, and see how you can be a part of this community of generosity. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we do praise you. We give thanks for the favor that you have shown the people of Northside Church. And so we come to you once more to give of ourselves, to make a sacrifice, to say that you have called us and you will hold us responsible and we want to be the people that you want us to be. So work in our hearts here and now and help us to be those people. Amen.